Good morning. So be, before I start, um, there's an unfortunate negative rumor that's been going around about my wife Dana and me, and I need to clear the air before it really gets out of hand. Um, people have been saying that if something happens to Dana, I wouldn't be able to make it a month. And I'm here to tell you, I am, I'm really confident that I could do three months. Um, I mean, realistically, maybe two, but you know, I could push for three. So now that I've, I put that to bed, I hope we don't have to deal with that anymore. Let's pray. God, how gracious and kind you are to give us different seasons in which we can celebrate aspects of your person and your work. And this is the season when we get to celebrate the, the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, who has come for us. So give us insight into the great celebration that Christmas represents today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So um, our wonderful pastor has put together a series called Light and Life. And uh, so for today, our text is going to be the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 4, and then 14 through 18. And it'll be up on um, the slide as soon as I snap my fingers. Yeah, see, there we go. It's a magic thing. It's a gift. So I'm going to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This passage celebrates Christmas. This passage explains why Christmas is so magical and important. The coming of Christ changes everything. The Bethlehem candle represents the light and life of God himself coming into the world. And Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's image and glory. 
Now, many of the great stories in the world are just a cultural retelling of this story. Jon Snow in the Game of Thrones was born, we thought, to destroy the Night King. Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings was born to destroy Sauron. So many of the uh, heroes or champions in real life and in culture throughout the world have come to fight on behalf of those who cannot fight for themselves. All of these stories are great, but none of them even approaches the greatness of the Christmas story. John's gospel begins with staggering language. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When we read that, what you should hear in your heart is this incredibly loud blaring of trumpets and voices. This is an announcement that shatters the world. The, big, the opening is similar to and as dramatic as the opening in the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Both openings show God as divine and internal creator and reveal his fullness and his power. I believe that, God, that John deliberately chose that beginning for his gospel in the beginning to capture the minds of the Hebrew readers and to capture the minds of we Gentile readers when we encounter his book. That is why it is so powerfully dramatic. Uh, it heralds the gospel. C.S. Lewis once wrote, the Christmas story is, uh, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time which is uncreated and eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing all nature up with him. C.S. Lewis also wrote in one of his books, Mere Christianity, this phrase that kind of sums up Christmas. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. J.I. Packer, a wonderful Christian theologian and writer, says this, the supreme mystery with which um, the gospel confronts us lies in the Christmas message of incarnation. The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man that the second person of the Godhead became the second man, determining human destiny, and that he took humanity without loss of his deity. So I want to turn first, there will be an outline that comes up on the screen in a minute, 
And the first point that I want to make that this passage addresses is who is Jesus? And it tells us from the beginning, he is the eternal word of God. Now, the word of God is not a series of words. It is not a sentence. It is not a paragraph. It is not the Bible. It is not all the collections of writings in the world. It is a person. The word of God is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is also life. It says all things in verses 3 to 4, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So when you look out, you take a walk down by the bay and you see the ocean, you go on the airplane and you look down on mountains and vistas, you look up at the night sky and you see as far as you can into the, into the darkness, you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that, not just our world, but all of the universe was created by Jesus. He is the creator of the universe. And that word life, there's several Greek words in the New Testament for life, but only one is zoe. And zoe means the actual vitality and vigor of being alive, of life itself. Jesus is God in all his life-giving quality, all his life-giving vitality. He is the uncreated creator. He is self-existent, self-sustaining, and eternal. He is the very source of life. He is life itself. There is no life apart from Jesus. Everything else is created. All the life we see anywhere in the universe exists because of his power. Nothing exists apart from his will. So ultimately to reject Jesus Christ is to reject life itself. Jesus is cause, never effect. So he's the eternal word of God. He is life. And the text tells us that he is light. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John wrote a couple of other books in the New Testament. One of his epistles, 1 John chapter 1, says this. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We know these candles... They create shadows, but in Jesus Christ, there are no shadows. There is no darkness in him at all. Consider all the things that we associate with darkness. Fear. When I grew up in Chicago, every year, you took a trip to the Museum of Science and Industry. One of the key attractions was the coal mine. It was an elevator with benches. You got in the elevator, they closed down, and you descended into the mine shaft. And when you descend, they warn you they're going to turn off all the lights. Now, I have ridden that a dozen times in my life. When they turn off the light, it is pitch black. You put your hand in front of your face, you cannot see it. And in that kind of darkness, you feel things crawling on you that are not there. And even though I knew what was going on, I, with everyone else, screamed.
Darkness means loneliness. Darkness means danger. That's a reason that all the horror movies take place at night or in a darkened room, right? It means crime. When I was on the bench, one of my jobs was to review and sign search warrants or arrest warrants. And I remember one officer coming in at, and their raid was going to be at three o'clock in the morning. And he said, Jan, I just need to tell you that from midnight to five o'clock in the morning, there's an entirely different San Diego. You wouldn't know the city from the daytime city. It is full of vice and vileness and meanness. Darkness is we associate with hiding. Mark Twain had this saying, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which he shows to no one else. There's this line from uh, William Shakespeare's Macbeth in which Macbeth says, stars hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. And Anne Frank said, look at how a single candle can both defy and define darkness. So Jesus is the eternal word of God. He is light and he is life. And so that passage reveals something else. I wonder if you've ever thought about it. It is the duality of Jesus. The great miracle of Christmas, God becomes man. The word becomes flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the text tells us that God is capitalized. It affirms and then restates the different language that Jesus is God by saying he was with God. So in the ancient world, equals sat on the same level and they sat facing each other showing that they were on the same level. So when you say you were with the king, it has a special understanding. So to say that he was with God is another way of saying he is God and equal with God. Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. And glory of glories, he dwelt among us. This is a unique aspect of our faith. Now, in mythologies, gods do come down, but they often come down in disguise. They come down to observe, and very often they come down to do mischief. They do not come to save. So he dwelt with us, which in the Greek is tabernacle, which means reside with, lived with us. He came to be with us in full, not temporarily, but forever. Not part of himself, but all of himself. And he did this because we cannot come to him. I mean, how does the finite understand the infinite or the temporal grasp the eternal or flesh understand spirit? So God comes to us. 
John Donne, in describing the incarnation, uses this phrase, immensity cloistered in a womb. It is the eternal stepping into time, the omnipotent clothed in weakness, the omnipresent contained in a humble manger in a humble barn. Jesus is fully God, but he, and he's fully man. Just look at the other names for Jesus in the Bible. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's father to the fatherless, husband to the widow. He's healer of the sick, Conf comforter of the grieving, all-powerful helper, God Almighty, Redeemer, our rock, the Ancient of Days, our great high priest, our wonderful counselor, as we sang today. This passage that we've been given also reveals uh, that there are at least three aspects of the work of Jesus Christ. Number one, he conquers all darkness. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John is writing as though standing outside of time himself and he's looking from the beginning of time to the end of time and he's able to say the darkness has not overcome it. That is, the light is light everywhere. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, said Dr. Martin Luther King. Only light can do that. Indeed, darkness is the absence of life. And Jesus conquers all the darkness of the world and he conquers all the darkness within. He floods our life with light and life. Jesus conquered death. He did not simply die, as our pastor loves to explain to us. He didn't simply die and then rise from the grave. He went through death and came out on the other side a victor, having conquered death for all time. Second aspect of his work. He bathes us in grace. So let me read verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Because of this, his fullness, Jesus can extend to us grace upon grace. Jesus came down to save, and our salvation, which is ever ongoing, is evidence of this grace upon grace. The Father does not give out his grace in little bits and drabs, small doses occasionally here and there, a penny-pinching God of grace. That's not our God. He is a wildly extravagant giver of grace, lavishing us with his grace through Jesus Christ. Let me give an example. In 2018, as a birthday gift to Dana, my wife, I took her to the Grand Canyon. She had never seen it. I saw it when I was 15 years old, you know, about 20 years ago. And uh, when Dana stepped out onto the rim, 
she simply started crying and she couldn't stop. I wanted to fall down on my knees in both fear and wonder. The only reason I didn't is that there were a lot of people around and I didn't want them to ask what I'm doing. I, I, I wasn't thinking I should fall down. That wasn't the point. I felt a power driving me to my knees in awe and fear. Every view was better than the previous view. Everywhere we looked was grandeur and majesty and beauty and shadows and lights and birds flying down beneath. It was just incredible. That is grace upon grace. Jesus came not just to save but to change us forever, that we would have forever not only clothed in his righteousness as an external garment, but filled with his righteousness as an internal reality, that by the work of his spirit, we will want the things he wants for us. We will think the thoughts he would think. We would have the motives and intentions that he has. His third work is that he reveals the Father. Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus did not come down to observe us or to learn about us. He came down to reveal to us the Father so that you and I would really understand who God is, his character, his motives, his plan for the world and his plan for our lives individually. The Father makes himself known by and through Jesus Christ. So in the same Gospel of John, but at chapter 14, verse 9, we have this little story about Philip. They have had a magnificent day. It has been so great, and they are expecting to go into Jerusalem and possibly die. And Philip is trying to say, I don't care. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That is enough for us. And Jesus, I think, somewhat disappointedly said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in Colossians 1.19, it says, For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This fullness does not exist anywhere else or in anyone else. All of who God is, his attributes, his character, are embodied in full in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is the very glory of God. Do you want to experience grace upon grace? You want to draw ever closer to God the Father? Do you want God's life to swallow up your life and his life to shine out your darkness? You want to know God's plan for your life? Consistently 
go into his word. Read it, meditate upon it, obey it, because the written word tells us the word. The Bible reveals God's character, plan, and purpose. It shows us his heart, love, and intentions. So the meaning of Christmas from this passage. Jesus is God's astounding, shocking Christmas gift to mankind. The cross and the resurrection are Jesus' astounding and shocking gifts to all believers. God has kept his promise made throughout the Old Testament to come and destroy the darkness and bring with him eternal life. The darkness in the world and the darkness in our hearts. And I want to go back to that chapter 1 in Genesis that starts out. In the beginning. And in uh, John. In the beginning. What that phrase means and tells us in the beginning is that this is all God's plan, not man's plan. This is all God's work, not man's work. God is responsible for it all. We contribute nothing but the sin that made the plan necessary. This is a way of celebrating this great God. And so how does God do this? Let me read a verse from Psalm 139, verse 16. You might want to write this verse down. Don't write down the words because you'll never keep up. But it's, a, it's an interesting verse to meditate upon. The psalmist writes, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. So what he is saying is, before God made anything that you and I call day, in the beginning, God said, I'm going to call forth David and Gracie and save them. I'm going to call forth Mary Beth and Lesnar. I'm going to save them. I'm going to call forth Barbara. And, uh. and after he forms that in his mind, in his plan, did he create sun and moon and stars and day and night? So let me give you a slight analogy. God creates time. He dwells in eternity where there is no time. And time is like this little table in front of us. He creates it. He sees it all from beginning to the middle to the end. And he says, I am going to call forth Leslin and Mary Beth and you and your wife your children, I'm going to call them forth and I'm going to save them from themselves. 
I'm going to give them the salvation of my son. I'm going to give them his character. All of his personhood, I am going to invest in them. So what I'm going to do, my son is going to step out of eternity and there's eternity past and eternity future. I'm going to step into time and I'm going to decide exactly the place where he will come. And I'm going to place him there. This is one reason the angels are singing so loudly. The uncontainable emerges from the womb of a Hebrew girl. The omnipotent God clothed in majesty is now clothed in baby clothes, in a manger. The host of heaven, we know from the Bible that there are mysteries about salvation that the angels long to know about. And there they are in heaven watching. We don't know how much they knew when they knew it. It was Gabriel said, you will bear a son and his name shall be called Yeshua or Jesus, which means in the Hebrew salvation. The actual word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. And the angels are there. And they look at the throne of God. And they look. How is this possible? What kind of miracle could do this? In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, God himself will do a miracle. A virgin shall give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel. This is God himself doing the miracle. And the angels look down on this, and they just burst in the song. They cannot contain themselves. They have never seen. They did not foresee it. It is a complete shock to them that the Lord God of the universe, bam. And what is the response? They just start singing. God has dwelt among us. He was crucified for our sins. He rose from the grave on the third day. He rose into heaven where he reigns for the entire universe at the right hand of the Father. Everything is put under his control. His majesty pervades the universe. He has saved us and will continue saving us every day until he comes back. He indwells us by his spirit. He is working in us and he is working through us. Merry Christmas! Now I'm going to pray so the musicians have time to come forward. I forgot to do that first time. You should have seen them running up to get to the stage. So would you pray with me now? Our Lord, what a wonderful God you are that you would purpose to become flesh and dwell among us. Live the life that we don't live. 
but die our deaths for us, and then you rise from the grave as the first fruits, and you bring us with you into heaven. What a glorious gift, and how wonderful that every year at Christmas, you remind us of this miracle. Praise be your name. Amen.